0: Welcome to the Fabricators Coach podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. Well, hey, let's just go ahead and get started. Probably the best thing to do, I'm gonna do a share screen and then get things kind of cranked up here. Um, We've got uh, Mike on the call with us today. Uh, We've got other folks who've signed up, not everybody's shown up yet, but we're gonna go ahead and, and get started. Mike, thanks for taking some time out of your out of your Thursday to join us. I uh, hope this will be a good good use of your time. That's that's our objective anyway. Um, as the email said, what we're going to do this time is is review the September article from Slippy Rock Gazette, and the title of the article is "Pasture Competition with Key Sales Management Practices." Mike and I were chatting a little bit before the meeting about competitive advantage. And uh, I really think that that the things we're going to talk about today are part of a good, strong competitive advantage. So that's, that's uh, why this is out there. If you haven't read the article yet, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, I want to read the article, you can go to SlippyRideGazette.net and select their current issue tab and find it there. Uh, They've also got a really good archive for for past articles for all their authors, which is good, really good resource. You also hit, um, fabricatorscoach.com select the blog link and that will also get you to uh, all of the articles that that we've put out there so it's it's available there if you haven't read it yet and you're interested looking at the contents yourself there's a diagram in the article if you're listening to this as a podcast um there's a diagram in the article that would come in helpful we're going to refer to it toward the end here um everybody's doing so well these days and that's uh that's part of why we've got these articles up is we're talk, talking about sales a lot uh, this year and probably some next year because some folks are struggling with that these days. Yeah. Um, I think everybody, um, well, if, you, if you're if listening to the podcast, you may not know, but just a quick bio for me. I've got 40 years experience in manufacturing, uh, business ownership, coaching, I've worked literally with hundreds of companies in this industry and others. First project in this industry was a little over 20 years ago. I've owned my own brick and mortar business, so uh, like Mike, understand uh, how lonely that can be as a business owner sometimes. And also, in addition, I ran a countertop shop for a few years. So, um, uh, those of you who are listening, I've have uh, been where most of you are. So, I think it, hopefully that's a good thumbnail sketch there. What we do in these uh, in these webinars is we like, to, of course, discuss the most recent article. And this is really more of a discussion than a presentation. We're going to try to learn from Mike today as well. But usually when we've got multiple people on the call, we're trying to get a good discussion going. Because I think that peer-to-peer learning is, is really important. It's good to have. Um, we will. Uh, a lot of folks sometimes they ask, why do you put so much time into writing articles and doing free webinars and that sort of thing? One of the reasons is I, I really think business owners in this business deserve to have a business that not only makes some money, but also gives some time to enjoy it. And the, the key to doing that is working on your business instead of just working in it. And, uh, with Mike, with your success, it sounds like you're having, you're probably doing a good bit of that. What I try to do is at least offer some suggestions that will, will help folks who are struggling with that, make some first steps and and, and find a few specific things they can work on. So that's, that's why we do what we do. Just trying to try to help folks out. Um, Maybe we've got somebody else joining here. We've uh, sometimes we get a lot of folks show up on these things sometimes we don't get a lot of folks so we've got a uh, uh, nice nice intimate group today which is good yes thank you all for joining us um let me ask you real quick uh, Mike you, we, you and I were talking a little bit it sounds like your sales are are doing well in in Toledo things are growing you've got a lot of additions. Um, so you'd say business is still really good for you. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, our businesses, we're not struggling. We have plenty of work to keep in the shop busy, but it's more of it's last minute stuff. Like we're, you know, uh, trying to get the templates done to get them into the shop. Uh, people are just struggling with help. To get you know cabinets set they say well we'll be ready the first of august and then it's like the first of september before they're actually ready so got a lot of backlog we're just trying to get through it trying to keep everybody happy so
0: yeah it's a bigger and bigger challenge these days i'm finding a lot of shops have uh, have almost got to to have some of their field folks run by and check sites sometimes because some contractors, as we all know, do a better job of running their sites than others. But when you've got especially large, complex jobs and all of the challenges you're talking about with other subs and with schedules, sometimes you almost have to go lay eyes on a site yourself to, to make sure it's going to be ready or or know whether, okay, we're within a couple of weeks or is this still a month out or what. So, yeah, yep. see that with a lot of folks. Lisa, how's, uh, how's business for you in uh, Mechanicsburg, PA?
2: You know, we've we've been really busy. I will say, though, um, since COVID, it's just been crazy busy, which, you know, no one knew what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, normally summer's slow, and we haven't seen a slow summer since COVID. But I say that to say this, September has been a little scary slow in my showroom. Now, that's just for retail customers. Our, our builders are still doing really well. Um but it has been a little slower. Usually September when kids are back to school, Labor Day's over, it's usually a killer month. And I set very high expectations for this month and I may miss them, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I've talked to a lot of folks that that still have the pre-COVID mindset that when the economy slows down, remodels pick up because new construction slows down. And I don't know about you folks, but people that I knew were doing, that would normally do remodels, they did all of them during lockdown. Uh, they were they were stuck in their houses thinking about all the different things that they wanted done to their house. So they started doing those remodels. And I think that's probably eaten into some of that that market that kind of gives us a little bit of buffer when the economy softens a little bit. So I think it's an interesting dynamic to see what's going on. Um, right. sure. we want to talk a little bit about sales because there are some challenges. I What I'm seeing in the market is. That there's geography that, that tends to drive some of this. Uh, there's some parts of the country that are just just absolutely wide open, and other parts of the country that are struggling a little bit. Uh, so there's geography that's a factor. There's market segment. Uh, I've talked to folks, for example, who are doing a lot of um, large commercial projects. Those tend to lag the economic uh, cycles. They because it takes longer, obviously, to get those projects up and running. And so those people are really busy, folks who depend primarily on remodels and retail. Um, some, some of those tend to struggle a little bit. And then the third biggest factor I see is how well a shop's being run. And I use that as an example. I'm you know, talking with Mike. I haven't talked to many folks in, in uh, Ohio, or at least in the northern part of Ohio. Most of the folks I talk about in the upper Midwest and New England are seeing a slowdown um but i've talked with some folks who are in say central texas which is still super super hot right now for a lot of reasons and i have talked to shops that are struggling in that area and with such a strong market you know why would a shop be struggling i think the factor is how well your business is being run um you know if you do the things that you need to do as a good business owner and you're going to be competitive and part of why we're talking about some of these key sales management practices is to to build a, a a further competitive edge so Really, seeing a mixed bag around the country as far as what's happening with the shops these days. So, I want to throw a few uh, a few characteristics up here on screen. These are things I have run into with uh, with salespeople, with clients I've talked with over the last several months. I'm curious if this uh, applies to some of your folks. Um, do you have uh, salespeople who don't get their their customer signatures on the orders like they're supposed to?
1: I'll answer, I'll answer that one. Yes, we do. And it every time it comes back to bite you. I yeah. mean, there's no reason for them not to, other than just being lazy and not getting it done. Yep,
0: certainly.
2: Right. Um, um we typically do get signatures on the retail orders, not on our wholesale orders.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, the, the you know really more question of are they doing what you expect them to do in terms of you're supposed to get a signature did you or not you know that sort of thing um, so everybody may have different policies on that but um you know, it's interesting when you've got those those policies and you've got those uh, expectations and they just don't get meet a lot of met a lot of times do you have uh, any salespeople that will go in and try to try to change the schedule they've got their own customers they want to give them some preferential treatment and they're constantly out there trying to trying to push the schedule in their favor you guys run into that
2: we don't allow that
0: (laughs) well that's great (laughs) i hear mike chuckling do you guys uh you you guys have that problem
1: never happens (laughs) yeah
0: I mean, they
2: would like to, but our scheduler is completely in charge of that. So they can't manipulate the schedule. They may call and say, hey, would you please, can you, you know, can you move this customer up? But they don't have any say over the schedule.
0: That's really good to hear. I've, I've had clients go ahead.
1: Lisa, how big a shop are you? I mean, like, how many people? Uh, to- the whole
2: total company, about 40.
1: Yeah, so you're about the same size we are with sales and everything else. Um, we, I've stole a couple of lines from you know famous people. One of them was Jeff Bezos that said it's all about the customer, and it is. And I don't want to take it away from you, Ed, to say this, but the um, whether it's our competition's customer or our customer, you know, it's about making the customer happy. And if the competition's customer's not happy, then we do so. We say it's all about the customer, but then there's also another one. I don't remember who said this, but how do we get the yes? When a customer calls in and wants to move it up, we don't automatically say no. You know, we kind of internally say, how do we get the yes? What do we need to do to get to satisfy this customer? Can we do it now? Not every time we can do it, but we at least take the time to talk about it, say, do we have room to manipulate this so we can move that customer but then again, if it's the same customer calling all the time, then obviously no. But, you know, how do we get the yes is a big thing. So
2: Right. And I think, too, with that, we do the same thing. But I think with that, most of the time, if I say to a customer or if my sales rep say to a customer, you know what, we are going to try to prioritize your job. I can't guarantee you anything, but we're going to do our best to make you number one priority. Whether you ever get to a yes or not, they feel special and they're usually okay.
0: Right, customer service. Yeah, I think those are both great perspectives. I, I can tell you, working with a lot of shops, the ones who, who for whatever reason, have a lot of schedule changes. In other words, they set dates, and then those dates are moving a lot. Those shops typically are struggling to satisfy their customers, and they're struggling to, in uh, a lot of cases, that really hurts their profitability. And so um, the, the phrase I use uh, probably not as famous as the ones that you picked, Mike. Um, but um, you know, if you're, if your customer's always right, that means the customer's running your business. And if your customer's running your business, they don't care if you make money or not. They just want what they want. And so striking the balance, I think is the biggest challenge. Um, I, I like uh, Lisa's approach in that, you know, we're going we're to do what we can and, and and do our best to make them feel like they're special, we may not always uh give in every request. So uh striking the balance, I think, is, is the biggest challenge. Um Agreed. but I do uh, again working with some shops, reason I put this particular comment up here about salespeople pushing to to change the schedule for their clients. I do have some 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 salespeople with some clients that it's it's they think they're the only salesperson and it causes so much chaos that it really is costing the company a lot of money. You have um you have folks in sales who don't who'll put a quote out there then won't follow up on it. And maybe they're missing. Sales.
2: Oh. oh my goodness. Can we talk about this one for an hour? <laughs> Do you know what? And so I walked into a hornet's nest yesterday. Everybody's like, oh, we're losing all these sales because of pricing. I'm like, um, how quickly are you following up with that customer? Oh, well, we are. We'll come to find out. Yeah, if you don't follow up quickly, you are gonna potentially lose them.
0: Absolutely. In fact, I'll do a little spoiler alert. The uh, My next article that will come out first of the month at Slippery Rock takes the whole follow up routine, both for for initial inquiries and for quotes and starts to put dollars and cents around the impact of not doing that well based on what a lot of the market research is and based on talking to some people who go in and do some sales support in this industry. So uh, well, that'll be our, our next article uh, and, and next webinar, but yeah, that, that oh good that follow up's good. And we're gonna, as we talk about the content of this month's article, uh, we'll talk about follow up a little bit. You kind of use that as an example, so we'll, that's good. We'll we'll get into that a little deeper. Um, how many of you use the CRM? We do. We do. Good. Um, do you have trouble with your sales folks putting the data in the CRM? Of
2: course. Well, mine, I don't know if you would, mine's more of a, its we use stone grid. I don't know if you've heard of that. So it's, it's got a lot of tracking mechanisms in there. Okay.
0: All right. But that's one of the things we tend to run into a lot with sales teams. They just don't want to, they don't want to put the data in there. Um, Do you have um, in terms of folks who are supposed to go out and do prospecting, do you struggle with those folks going out and doing that prospecting consistently? Yes. In fact, am uh, I the only
2: one? Am I the only one?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I put these up here now because this is what I've been running into frequently with other clients. So it's you're you're not alone in this. All right, I didn't Uh I didn't just grab these out of thin air. Uh, In fact, sometimes you wonder on these uh, outside sales people, especially they're not accounting for their time real well. So sometimes you're wondering what they're even doing, right? Right. Okay. Um, and then you know in, in terms of follow up responding to those initial inquiries quickly yeah you, you, you struggle with any of that
2: sometimes
1: we're using a system right now for basically the the retail side cuz about 35% of our business is retail um, called pipe drive and it when the phone call comes in it don't all the specifics but it goes we get a report and it tells the which salesperson talked to them and what they did. And it, it automatically generates a follow-up, um, to call back in two days or four days and to record what the answer was that no call or no answer, uh, someplace else too expensive. So we are doing about 35% of our business. We're following up on. So,
0: yeah, that's awesome. You're uh, you're, you're, you're a great straight man there. You're, you're leading, um, right into to some of the stuff i want to get into and and the crm and how you use that's a really important part of all of this so that that's good to hear um, let's see lisa you were talking about uh stone app some of the the industry specific software packages that you run your business with moreware stone app action flow East edge all those others some of those have what they call a crm on the front end it's best to think of those as sort of a CRM light. Uh, as we talk about our, our topic today and get into some of these details, I think you'll see that there's there's a lot of things that those packages don't have. So um, as we get into this, hopefully we'll make a good case for what a good uh, a good CRM looks like. All, All right. right. Um, pardon.
2: I said great. Thank you. Okay.
0: Yeah, good. Um, the reason I bring all these things up, these are these are real things I run into. And and you know, Lisa, you're not the only one, so don't, don't feel like a lone stranger here. But these are things I run into a lot with clients. I see this happening all the time. And these are really all aspects of performance for your sales team, things that that are not necessarily could, you know, generating that quote, converting that quote to an order, but all the other things they have to do to support those activities. And the real challenge is, and you know, the reason I put the article out there is that when the economy gets uncertain, it gets slow for some people, um, then how well you manage your sales process and your salespeople has a, a big impact on what the uh, the on what the the health of the business can be. And then you know, the question becomes, all right, so how do we get our salespeople to perform the way we want them to? And and these are just good indicators of things that if we're struggling with these items on screen here, the things we just listed, then it then that creates the, the case for okay, we got to figure out how to how to manage these folks better and how to get the type of performance that we need out of them. And the way the topic we wanted to focus on for this article this month was the topic of setting expectations. And to talk about this. To talk about this, I'm going to use the example of quote follow up so we can talk about some specifics. So we're not just talking about, you know, uh, vague ideas, just get really specific about things that may help you out. Um, But another thing, too, is you think about as as we walk through this, kind of our pro tip is the things we'll talk about work well for any function in the business, not just sales. We're going to focus on sales again for the reasons I mentioned earlier. But this applies in lots of places in the business, so so keep that in mind as we go through this. The first part of setting expectations is defining what you expect. If you've got a quote, if you want your salespeople to follow up on quotes, what does that mean? Anybody have any any definition for how they want folks to follow up on quotes they've sent out?
2: I, I would prefer a phone call. I know a, I know for whatever reason the world we live in today. People are afraid to pick up the phone and talk to people in person, but I, I I prefer a phone call. And then secondly, if that doesn't work, then I prefer a text over um, over an email because emails, as far as contractors go, they don't see their emails, but they will quick. They definitely see their texts. So that's just my opinion.
0: Okay. What do the rest of you think? Anybody got that kind of defined and lined up? We send out... Uh, Emails and
1: text messages, but I agree with it. Nowadays, people don't. I mean, if most everybody has a, a cell phone on them or a Apple Watch, so when that thing beeps, they hit, you know, and they read the text. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to, you know, have my sync on the job site tomorrow or whatever. Uh, where sometimes you know you don't read emails, so you get back to the office at eight o'clock at night. So I think text messaging. But what we do with the follow up is we send have a phone call and um, we have a sort of a script, we don't follow a script, but we have a, a few bullet points for them to ask, you know, most customers say, oh, we haven't quite decided yet, okay, well, w- when, you know, we don't want to be a pain in the butt, when you want us to call you back, or we'll be here when you're ready, that kind of stuff, so.
0: All right, good, you're, you're getting closer to what I'm, the the point that I'd like to make, and that's I, I talked to a lot of shop owners that, you know, my salespeople just don't follow up. And I said, okay, so how do you know? And it's tough to get good specific data on what they are doing or not doing. You know, part of part of follow-up, you want to define, you know, what is what you expect for following up on a quote. We've generated a quote for a customer, they haven't said yes or no. What's our follow-up look like? Part of that's method. You know, Mike, you were talking about text versus. Email versus phone call. You know, a lot of younger folks these days, and we got a lot of younger customers coming into our business into our shops these days. They don't do voicemail, they don't do email. They'll do text is about the only way to reach them. And if you don't know the age of your customer or if you didn't note that somewhere in your CRM, then you probably want to have a a um, a sequence of you know email, voicemail, text message, and define what that sequence looks like. Then the other thing you want to look at is what's what's the rhythm, what's the timing of that? Is it is your first step on follow up? Is that a a phone call? Um, you know, twelve hours afterwards? Is it an email? Twenty four hours afterwards? Do you do email and then text and then phone call and then go back and do email, text, and phone call? You know, it's it's just defining what that looks like. So if you if you're expecting a salesperson to follow up, what you're doing is defining what it is specifically you want them to do, and so that that method for follow up, that that rhythm for follow up with the timing looks like, and then what's the content of that? Uh, Mike was talking about kind of a rough a rough script for what they wanted to cover. I think that's great. Um, I think it's uh, it's really key to to set the expectation for what kind of tone do we want to set as a business with our customers. What's our content there, and and in all of this follow up, at some point, unfortunately, we get to uh, we haven't been able to make contact, and we realize, okay, this 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 quote's dead. This opportunity is dead. So then you've got to do what's called a breakup message. Well, what do you want that to look like? You know, do you want to leave it up to the salesperson that says, "Hey, look, you know, Miss Smith, we've been trying to call you. We just not having any luck, and and, and, and you know, it sounds like you don't want to talk to us anymore. We're done. You know." You wanna put that message out there or do you want to have a, you know, we've uh we we haven't sorry we haven't been successful in getting in touch with you. Uh you may have decided to go in a different direction. We certainly understand. Please remember that ABC Countertops is is here for anything you need help with in the future. You know, what's what's that tone? What's that content? How do you want this to, to go? You know, what do you want to say? That's all part of when you're trying to set expectations for performance defining some of those details so that you know specifically what it is you do expect. Do any of you go to that level of detail in in defining how you do your quote follow-up?
2: I'm going to say, I I would lay that out. I'm going to say where I fail personally is following up to make sure they're following up.
0: (laughs) Okay, and, and and you're you're um you guys are are ahead of me here. I think I'm gonna let y'all teach. <laughs> that's that's one of my points coming up here in just a few minutes. Is how do you do that? That's that's a great point. Did somebody else have a comment? I thought I heard another voice. So in in terms of setting expectations, the first step is to define what it is you're expecting folks to do. The next step is document what those expectations are. You know, it's the, the old saying, if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. That's key. Uh, you know, we talked about this. Uh, you know, you're know, you in a meeting. You say, okay, you know, we talked about this two weeks ago. You know, why is that still an issue? Well, I heard it differently than, than somebody else heard it. We don't know for sure. So getting it written down, getting it documented is really key. It helps with the training, which we'll talk about in communication here in a minute. Um, but the documentation is key. And one of the things is, as you document these processes, they they do change from time to time, don't they? Uh, one of the things you may want to do as you get into documentation is do a, a Google search on the phrase document revision control process. There's several different ones out there. I don't want to get into those details now, but knowing, you know, everybody pulls up, okay, here's our, our current script. You got three people in the meeting, you got three pieces of paper, and each one of them is a different version of what it was you put out because nobody's got the latest one how do you know what the latest version is so having a good document revision control process is really important as you do that so that everybody knows what's the what's the current sheet of music we're seeing off of here the next part of setting expectations after you've defined it and you've documented it is to communicate and part of that is just talking about it obviously um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I walk into a lot of shops and, and uh, you know, we start talking. You know, they bring me in because they've got problems. They don't bring me in because everything's perfect. So, uh, obviously, I'm always walking into the challenges and opportunities. And when I start asking questions, opening the questions about what's driving some of the challenges they have, communication is probably the most common response. Ah, oh, communication is just terrible. There's no communication. And when I dig a little deeper, what I find out, it's not so much that the communication didn't happen. So it wasn't clear. So having clear communication based on clear definitions, based on good documentation, it all makes that communication go better. It's all part of, you know, how do we train folks? Uh, and as we go through all these processes, obviously, we want, it wants to be, our communication needs to be two-way communication. It's, we don't want to be dictatorial and I'm not saying that you are, but, you know, getting the feedback for, okay, here's kind of what we'd like to accomplish, here's what we think is a good way to go about it, what do you think works but doesn't, and develop these kinds of things together. So, that's, uh, that's a real key part of, of communication. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to let Lisa talk about our next part, which is follow-up. Mm-hmm. Lisa? Me?
2: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to tell you that, you know, I'm probably old school and I've been in sales and marketing for 30, 40, 35 years, and I expect people to be grown-ups and do their jobs. So here's the problem with that. They aren't always.
0: You're
2: kidding. No, believe it or not, they are not I know, I know, because I operate like I'm going to do my job. Now my job is to help make sure you do your job, which of course it is a management job, right? But my expectations are higher than that. So how do we get people to the point where they do do their own job without having to be monitored and told and, you know, uh, managed like that? Because most people do not like to be micromanaged.
0: So what does follow-up look like for you? How do you specifically follow-up? Let's say we're talking about you know, we want salespeople to follow up on the quotes that they've sent out. We've got a process to buy it, all that. How do you, how do you execute that follow-up? What, what's that look like for you?
2: If, if I'm doing it, if I'm, because I do handle, I do handle uh, a few of our larger builders and, you know, I will send the quote and then I will follow up a, like at least no more than two days later, just to say, Hey, I want to make sure you got the quote. Did you have any questions? And with builders, That's kind of how you have to do, because it's going to be a process versus a retail customer who may be ready to rock and roll. And I will say that, hey, I want to make sure you got my quote. Did you have any questions? Are we ready to rock and roll? That's just my personal method as to how I would do it. Um, You know, just kind of assume the sale. Hey, I've got those slabs tagged for you. Want to make sure you got the quote. Are you ready to pull the trigger? I guess that's not a good thing to say these days, though, huh?
0: Well, I was wondering more, uh, and I'm sorry, I wasn't wasn't a little a little more clear. Was you, we were talking a little bit about how we follow up with our salespeople if we're managing a sales team,
2: oh.
0: and we we oh. set all these expectations, done the training. How do we follow up to make sure that this is actually happening?
2: Okay, so one of the things I, I've incorporated this year was for sales contests. I had not done before. So I've incorporated sales contests. So this month and actually every, about every other month, one of those things on the sales contest is your follow-up. You get uh, you get points for follow-up and you have to copy me on all the emails that you're sending out doing your follow-up. So then I also usually, customers when they respond back, they'll respond to all. I can see the comments. I can then coach them and say, well, okay, well, here's what you say next. Or, oh my gosh, grab the phone and call this customer because of what they said so actually having them copy me on the emails they send has been very helpful that's just one way
0: okay now mike you know so i'm sorry i have to incent them to follow okay yeah and that's that's what we have to do a lot of times um mike you got pipe drive which is a, is a crm i know a little bit about it i've never used it personally but it's a pretty decent crm Lisa was talking about the, you know, the copies on the emails and and stuff like that. How does the CRM impact managing the sales process and following up on how well your salespeople are doing their quote follow-ups? Well, we
1: started years ago um, keeping track of how many quotes we do every week, how many quotes each salesperson in the showroom does every week, how many wholesale, how many retail, um, and then what the closing rate is. And that, along with pipe drive, where we get, you know, let's just say, you know, one person got 30 phone calls last week and or did 30 quotes and the other did 35. It generates a report as to which one of those have been followed up on and which one haven't. So you have to keep track of your phone calls. Um, the report tells us, the pipe drive report tells us, so, you know, maybe somebody's got they followed up on most of them, um, but then the next guy has it. So when the sales manager gets that report, he can get on them and say, "Hey, look, you know, you had you did thirty quotes last week, but you only followed up on you know ten of them. What's going on with the rest of them?" Because the report will tell him that if it's been followed up on. It. So it makes it makes it pretty easy for us to to police them that they are or they aren't. Um, but the closing rate also helps us when. You know, maybe you got 35 phone calls and you just mark them all off as followed up on. Uh, your closing rate's not showing that. So, and we know if you follow up, you're going to close more. So,
2: What would you say your close ratio is? On, let's just say on, well, on average, retail and wholesale as a whole, because I do keep up with that. What would you say your close ratio is?
1: <laughs> you're going to laugh when I say this. Our retail close rate is 49.8%. Our wholesale close rate is about 32 to 35% now, bet- depending on okay. builders or kitchen and bath dealers. So.
2: No, I'm not laughing at all. As a matter of fact, mine and I haven't broken mine down between wholesale and retail, which I need to do that. So I need to, to, uh, to figure out the difference between those, which is not difficult to do. So, but no, I would say, you know, my goal is 60%. That's what my goal was this year. Um, we're right around 50 as a total. Um, I just don't know what the industry standard really should be or is.
1: Well, before Ed, Ed answers that question, my understanding, and I've been in this business a long time and I've mentored like uh, four other shops I've mentored over the years with ISFA, the, um The average should be probably around 37, 38% of a combination and then but it then again it depends if you're doing a lot of commercial work or just residential work. But you know and, and my my complaint over all the years has always been if if the average is about 35%, what's happened to the other 65%? You know, why aren't we getting more of that 65%? And a lot of it's you know they we quote the same job to a couple different kitchen and baths or you know they the Kitchen and bath or didn't get the job and it went someplace else. So there's there's reasons, but still that's a huge number. That's 60% of the stuff we quote, we don't get. So
2: well that, that makes me feel pretty good then. If we're around that, you know, 49 to 50% rate, I'm feeling pretty good about that.
1: Yeah, that's if you're if you've got everything combined, that's a pretty high rate. But then again, and I'm I don't mean to teach your class here, Ed, but then again, you have to look at your profitability. You know, if you're closing sixty percent of your sales, are you leaving money on the table? Could you close fifty percent and make a little bit more? But you, you know that then you have to watch your competition. You know, are are you, you know, it, you understand what I'm saying? That if you're closing 60, if you're closing sixty percent, there's probably a little bit more margin that you could get out of that. So,
0: yeah, and I think I think that's dead on, Mike. Um back to the what's the industry standard what i see talk with the shops i talk to it runs between 30 and 50 percent again depending on on retail versus wholesale that sort of thing uh, a lot of its hard is how do you count it you know kitchen and bath dealers are notorious uh here's our kitchen uh quote this and all levels of granite and all levels of quartz. you know uh and so now you you know you generated a dozen quotes and they, they'll they buy one. They're not going to buy all 12 quotes. And so how do you count that quote? Oh, that
2: would only be one quote in my system. It would be one quote.
0: Understood. Some some shops, it's 12 quotes or 10 quotes. Oh, 10 wow. Almost they've got, you know, and so when you start tracking your metrics, that's part of it. But I really like that if you're starting to get, where you're winning 60, 70% of your jobs, I think it's a really good sign that, that you're probably leaving money on the table or, possibly you have figured out a real strong competitive advantage you know what we're talking about today is is how to use your sales management practices to develop a competitive advantage and setting expectations and, and the the things we're talking about here you know ones of items i've got up here on the screen is just part of that i'm using quote follow-up as our specific example so we can talk about you know, method, rhythm, sequence, content, and that sort of thing. So we've got something to kind of sink our teeth into as a as a frame of reference rather than being vague and generic. And one of the reasons I'm using quote follow-up as our example is because how well you follow up on leads, how well you follow up on quotes, the timing of that, the consistency of that, those things can create a huge competitive advantage. And I can I can envision where You've got really, you've got good, profitable pricing, like Mike's talking about, and you got a really professional, solid sales team and a good CRM to track data, and you could be closing 50, 60% of your jobs and really not leaving any money on the table to speak up, just because you're doing better than the other folks. Uh, it's, okay. it's rare to, to come across, in this industry, at least in my experience, to come across good, professionally trained sales teams. It's just something that's just not out there. I've been trying to work with several people to put together a a mechanism to deliver that just because I see it as a need in the industry. And it's just hard to get that pulled together. Uh, I've got one one company I went down and did an assessment for. It's about a $20 million shop and they don't have a showroom. All of their sales are in-home sales and no salesperson gets turned loose until they've been through the training program. Training program takes four to six weeks full time. And that's just something you don't see in this industry very often. Reason follow up is is critical in setting expectations is as much as like Lisa says, we'd love for people to do what they wanna do because they wanna do a good job. Part of that goes back to how you hire and and who you hire and, and how you manage and lead but you got to follow up and Mike's talking about having pipe drive as a CRM. The advantage, one of the advantages of that is it gives you data to follow up with. Hey, I know Joe had 20 quotes. He was supposed to follow up on the last week only followed up on two. Now, the question is, how do you do that follow up? You know, do you go in and say, hey, Joe, look, you're, you're, you're supposed to be following, you know, we've talked about this. You know how important follow up is on these quotes. You, you're supposed to have done 20 follow-ups last week. You only got two, man. You got to get with it, get with the program. And if you take that approach, now it's it's me against you and, or me against Joe and Joe's automatically deficient and it's a negative conversation. That'll get you a certain level of results. That's kind of the stick versus the carrot approach. I'm not a big proponent of, you know, saying kumbaya and hugging everybody, but I think there's a middle ground that's more like, You see that Joe's got this challenge. He only followed up on two out of his 20 quotes last week. And you can go to Joe and say, Joe, man, look, I know you know how important this is. We've got this process defined. Uh, And I also know, man, it's tough. It's, you know, there's a lot going on. Sales, you know, we've had a lot of traffic in the showroom, a lot of things going on. Can you help? What am I missing here? Can you help me understand what's the biggest obstacle to doing this follow-up like we've got it designed? And then take a pair of vice grips and lock your lips shut and listen. (laughs) And I'm saying that not not literally, you don't want to hurt yourself, but the idea is to approach it as me and Joe against the problem rather than me walking in and telling Joe he's not doing well. I mean, certainly he's not doing well, but what we want to do is solve that problem. We may find out. You know, Joe was raised by his grandparents and his his father, his grandfather's, you know, been in hospice for the last month. And the guy's been spending all his time over there. He's not getting sleep. You know, or it could be that he's, you know, every time I go to make a phone call, I, you know, there's people walking in the showroom and it's too noisy and I I can't, you know, I can't have a good phone conversation. Well, we can fix that. Uh, it could be that Joe just really isn't comfortable with follow up. So there's a training opportunity. There's a coaching opportunity. If you'll ask the question the way I mentioned it, you know, what's what's the biggest obstacle to doing what we talked about? You're going to learn something and it'll it'll help define the problem that you need to solve. And so the follow up is really important, because if you what I what I see a lot is I've got some friends who in this industry who help shops, they they go in and help build sales processes and help generate leads and that sort of thing and they they tell me that their clients are constantly asking for more leads. but when they watch the data on the follow-up they're not following up on the leads they get. And so as managers and as owners we got to follow up with our people. Uh, I did I cut my teeth in textiles early in my career and the, and the phrase was you inspect what you expect. You know, if you expect people to follow up on quotes, you got to get data. You got to go do the follow up, and you got to do it consistently. Those those are really big keys, and and data is the key. CRMs are really the best way to get that. Uh, we talked about you know phone calls and emails and texts. What a CRM can do for you is once you define that that rhythm and that sequence of, of follow up, it can send those emails for you automatically. It can send those texts automatically. On the schedule you define, it can track the responses or lack of them, and it can send a reminder to the salesperson. Hey, you need to call Mr. Smith. It's it's you know it's been four days since his quote. It's time for you to do this first follow-up call. You know we've already sent three emails. Now it's your turn to call. Um, there's a lot of capability out there with CRMs, and they can integrate with uh, automated phone systems for automated phone calls. They can record phone calls. Lots of capability depending on what you need. But having a good CRM is 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 a big part, I think, of building a good professional sales team. Anybody else here using a CRM other than Mike, Mitch, Rosalie, either one of you guys? Okay, either no or shy. Either way is fine. All right, we 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 really don't.
2: Um, I probably need to start using one, but I, I don't currently.
0: How many salespeople have you got, Mitch?
2: <laughs> really, I'm my outside salesperson, and I've got three, two and a half inside salespeople.
0: Okay, so if you've got more than one to manage, then having a good CRM can really be key. A lot of good ones out there. If anybody's interested in looking at CRMs, there's a couple hundred in the market out there. Uh, the one Mike talks about, pipe drive, is a really good one. Mike, how long did it take you to set yours up? Did you do it by yourself?
1: Oh, no, (laughs) no. Um, We actually work with a guy here that he started out managing our social media as far as search engines and keywords and all that kind of stuff. And then we got into this, uh, you know, the sales part of the follow up. Um, I would say we probably about a year and a half. um, And it was a it was I got to say it was more me than them um i was reluctant to have our guys waste all this time making phone calls and following up and i i couldn't see you know i couldn't put my finger on it that said oh our closing rate went from 45 to 50 percent when we started doing this you know but after a period of time yeah you could i could start seeing that it was worth the time and effort we're putting into it
0: how, and, long, did uh, it to, how long did it take to configure and set up your crm just to get it set up
1: well it it's kind of hard to say that because again, it was me, um, that was holding us back. So we had one girl in the showroom that been here for a while and she's very good. Um, she was working directly with this guy and he, they were trying things like her phone calls were recorded and then she would follow up and they would get back on, should we follow up in three days or five days? And so it was probably six months of one-on-one between her and the guy that implemented it. And then he came in and put it in effect for I have um, what do we have six people in the showroom most of the time, five to six every day. So um, you know, once he implemented it with everybody, I would say it's probably been six eight months that we've been working on it and perfecting it. So yeah, if, anybody, if anybody's pretty- interested in this guy's working all over the country, he's working for a company down in North Carolina, one in Boston. Um, he's local, you know, with me, but if you're interested in more information on, or want him to contact is, you, just let me know. I'll, is this, is this
0: Tim Sodors.
1: Exactly. You yeah, know who it Tim, is.
0: Tim does a great job. There's several people out there. What I was going to say was, if you're setting up a CRM, if you're trying to do this without help, it can be really difficult because these things have got lots of capability. There's tons of decisions to be made. It can take a while. If you're trying to run a shop too, and you've never done it before, it's difficult. So talking with Tim Sedoris, uh talking with Justin Shaw, Stephen Alberts, there's several people out there who do a really good job of this. If you, if you're if you want to talk to somebody about how to do this, you know, talk to talk to Mike Langendorfer who who's been talking about this here, and give me a call or shoot me an email. We'll be happy to connect you with some folks who can do a good job. I think it's it's worth. it, Mike. correct? Me if I'm if you think I'm wrong, I think it's worth getting help to set this up. Because if you haven't really thought about what a follow-up routine looks like, what a sales pipeline should look like, and what data you need, what you want to track, it, it's really tough to figure that out from scratch.
1: And and Tim can show you the statistics from, you know, the shops that we've set this up in, not we, but he has, um, you know, that what is done for us. And, you know, we're not afraid to discuss it. But I, I would suggest it be worth your time just to reach out to one of these guys like Tim, just give him a conversation because just what he's going to tell you in the initial conversation is going to help you. I guarantee you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All three of these guys will tell you the, give you the same thing. And that's uh, some of the some of what they'll tell you is part of what I've included in my article next month. And that I went in and put dollars and cents on the value of doing a lot of this because I think it's that important. So um, good information. Thanks for their input there. Mike, um, if you've read the article, you've seen this really crazy, wild-looking roller coaster diagram, and you may yeah. wonder why would you put a roller coaster diagram in a sales article. Um, my wife, I'm gonna give her full credit for this, because he does a uh, does a great job. Uh, she did a great job with this, and this was her idea all the way around. But I think it gets the point across well. And as talks. The diagram talks about, you know, you can start off with the showrooms got a lot of traffic, you got a lot of calls coming in. Things are feeling good. They're sounding good. But if you don't do the timely follow-up, you end up on the downhill side of that roller coaster down toward the bottom, and the sales just aren't there. And that's part of that impact that Mike's talking about. If you don't do this, it really has a big impact on profitability. But if you move through the roller coaster here and start going through the steps we talk about with setting expectations, training, having the accountability, doing the follow-up, tracking all this then it starts to drive your sales up. It gives you the data to manage your business and gives you the data to help you understand where your business is headed. And it doesn't just make this month look good. It makes next month look good. Gets you off to a great start. And and that's the competitive advantage that I really wanted to try to get that point across is how do you build that competitive advantage without working with pricing, without buying equipment? This is just how you manage this one part of your sales process. So that's one of the keys there. Um, I've, I've called on, um, well, that was Molly that popped in. Okay. So Molly and Rosalie have been hitting the chat here pretty well. Um, looks like Molly is saying she's asking about users more aware or systemized. Now, those are shop operation programs and so not really CRMs. Uh, I think Lisa said she was using Stone app. Stone app and Action Flow and some of the others have a little bit of CRM built in on the front end. They won't have the capability of, of what Mike's talking about, pipe drive, uh Salesforce, uh Action Flow, any, any of those others that are out there, they won't have that kind of capability. Uh Morale just won't have it. Stone App doesn't, doesn't really have it. Um you need something that's a dedicated CRM to get the kind of of results that, that we're talking about here. Um It's just it's hard to build that into a software package that you use to schedule and run your business, too. It's tough to pull all that together. So we're back to the top of our hour. And what I normally do is I run these webinars for an hour and then I'll keep the call open for another 20, 30 minutes afterwards in case anybody's got any questions. Um, One things I think, is important, especially as a business owner. This is true for you, those of you who are managers as well, is that your business or your department, they're running exactly the way that you've designed them to run. And that's just, it's the nature of the beast. It's just a, it's just a factual statement. They're not going to run any better than you've designed them, and they're not going to run any worse than you've designed them. But if you're not happy with how with how it's running, uh, I do offer a free customized assessment. Go to the website, fabricatorscoach.com. Uh, press the button for a free assessment. Schedule your call. We'll talk, and I'll I'll offer some suggestions to try to solve whatever your specific uh, challenges are. Um, the next article, as I've kind of alluded to a couple of times, is for for next month is the power of sales follow up. That's where I take the stuff that Mike's talking about. When you talk with these other folks who do implement CRMs and, and and that sort of thing, uh, they can tell you what the stats are for quick and effective follow up look like. I've gotten some of that data, plus some just general industry sales data. And I put dollars and cents on the value of doing that. And so if you don't want to wait a month for the next webinar, uh, in a couple of weeks, 1st of October, Sleepy Rock will put their next uh, issue out. And that article will be in there if you want to go ahead and get ahead of the curve and and, uh, read that. So um, I want to thank all of you for spending your Thursday. Hopefully that's been helpful for you. I know some of you have got to go. Uh, because you've only allocated an hour, but I'll hang out for a little while in case anybody else is, uh, has got any questions.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. And I look forward to um, being a part of another one and kind of getting, I'm interested to look into pipe drive. So that was a good piece of information. So thank you.
0: Good. And if you want to help with Pipe Drive, uh, Mike was talking about Tim Sedoris. Uh, Either he or I can give you Tim's contact information. That is the CRM that he implements. There are others out there that are really good too. Uh, that's just, it's one I've looked at in the past. I don't use it myself. I use uh, um, not Action Flow, um, Active Campaign is the one that I use. Um, but uh, I looked at Pipe Drive and it's got a lot of good capability. And Tim does a great job with it, too. He's, he's one of several people that can help you uh, do that kind of thing.
2: Okay. Thank you so much.
0: Look forward to having you back. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.